Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, patients, families, colleagues, and curious folk to the PM&R Report. Our podcast is brought to you by the University of Texas at Houston in conjunction with McGovern Medical School and TIRR Memorial Hermann Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. We bring you another segment of medical explanation, reviews of current literature, expert opinions, debates, and just plain interesting stuffs. Welcome to another episode of the PMNR Report. I'm Jason Edwards, Chief Resident of PMNR at UT Health McGovern Medical School, and we are joined today by Dr. Gabriel Lopez to discuss integrative medicine and oncology care delivery. Dr. Lopez, thank you so much for joining us. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am Gabriel Lopez. I'm the medical director at the Integrative Medicine Center in the MD Anderson Cancer Center. This is a part of the Department of Palliative Care, Rehabilitation, and Integrative Medicine. And my day-to-day is seeing patients in our center to offer integrative oncology consultations. And I'd be happy to tell you more about what that is. Awesome. And, and we were very honored to just have a lecture on uh, integrative medicine and oncology care delivery, um, an interdisciplinary approach to supporting health. Let's start with, with what exactly constitutes integrative medicine? What are we talking about? I know you mentioned in your lecture, there's a lot of terminology and sometimes we, we use these terms interchangeably. Yes. So integrative medicine, you will encounter in uh, many different areas. Um, either uh, from recommendations from family or friends, from doing internet searches, from what you might read in magazines, books, or see on TV. But everything that you hear uh, isn't necessarily accurate or true. Uh, and so it's really important to understand that uh, there are different levels of evidence supporting the use of different approaches that are considered non-conventional approaches. Um, alternative medicine would be Uh, using a uh, non-conventional approach to treat a disease. Uh, And complementary therapy would be using a a non-conventional approach alongside conventional therapy. And uh, integrative medicine would really be thoughtfully uh, thinking about what evidence exists in support of that specific intervention to uh, help uh, either manage a symptom or support health in some way, but really, again, based on evidence and uh, thinking about the individual's Uh, safety. Uh, When you uh, use an alternative therapy uh, instead of conventional therapy, that can lead to uh, harm and worse outcomes in patients, especially if there's an opportunity to treat their disease earlier on. Uh, Pursuing these alternative therapies can potentially lead to worse outcomes. That's definitely an important point that we're talking about integrating these complementary approaches with conventional treatments, not, not necessarily in place of Two other terms that you mentioned that I, that I think sometimes uh, we, we use interchangeably are, are disease and illness. Could you kind of expand upon that and, and what is conventional medicine usually geared towards and, and what are we trying to accomplish with complementary approaches? So with conventional medicine, a lot of times there is a uh, focus on uh, disease. So really focusing on treating the systems in our body, the biological systems in our body that have in some way uh, broken down and aren't functioning appropriately. Uh, The concept of illness is 
how does an individual respond to those biological changes? How does the individual experience having a disease? And a lot of times our current medical system really focuses a lot more on treating the disease, but doesn't really focus on understanding how that disease is affecting that individual's uh, life and experience. And there's been some literature suggesting that if we don't pay attention to that illness experience, uh, that patients will look to other individuals, will look to other strategies to be able to meet that need that they have. Uh, sometimes they'll meet that need by uh, going to uh, unqualified practitioners for care. They might self-medicate. Uh, they might be dissatisfied with their doctors despite the, the fact that their doctor is doing an excellent job uh, in managing their biological disease. So it's really important to think uh, in a framework that recognizes that when you're working with a patient, there's both the disease that you can address, but also the illness that you have to be aware of and pay attention to and respond to. And I know in, in one of your papers, um, Integrative Oncology, you highlighted the importance of healthcare providers being able to engage in these discussions and provide informed advice on complementary health approaches for cancer care. And that we're also seeing a significant number of patients interested in these complementary approaches. This morning, you cited some literature showing uh, a disconnect, if you will, between the, the number of these patients that are receiving conventional therapy combined with complementary approaches um, versus the number that have actually dis discussed this with their healthcare providers. Why do you think this disconnect happens and, and what can we do to close this gap and, and uh, provide information? So communication is, is definitely uh, a key way of uh, helping to understand how we can help address our patient needs. The, the disconnect that occurs in discussions about integrative medicine is that a lot of times patients perceive that the physician or the healthcare provider might not be interested in learning about their use of that integrative medicine approach. And although they might be engaging in the use of integrative approaches, they feel that because their provider isn't interested in it, or if they talk to their provider, that the provider might actually um, judge them because of their use of that product or, or uh, approach, that they just leave that out of the discussion. And so it really, in the end, uh, becomes uh, our responsibility and not the patient's responsibility to ask about their use of these approaches, at least to show that there's an open opportunity to have that uh, discussion. But like you mentioned, that there have been studies that suggest that uh, in uh, cancer care, specifically a survey that was done at MD Anderson now back in uh, 2000, where they interviewed 450 outpatients, that although 88% uh, uh, of patients were engaging in some use of a complementary and integrative approach, only about 60% of patients were actually discussing their use of those approaches with their healthcare team. So that communication gap uh, really is, is, is going to be best addressed by the provider uh, giving that time and asking about it because otherwise the patients may stay quiet and continue to do these things and some of these things might have negative uh, effects on their treatment outcomes. Do you have some examples of, of you know some of these negative effects? What should we as healthcare professionals be monitoring for? I know that's a pretty broad question. Yeah, so the, the challenges I'll, I'll give for example uh, are uh, first, to talk about herbs and supplements. So uh, herbs and supplements can potentially have uh, risks to patients as far as increasing their bleeding risk. Uh, they might 
lead to uh, direct organ toxicity, for example, having negative effects on kidney function or liver function. A lot of times these herbal products uh, are uh, metabolized through similar pathways through which uh, our prescription drugs are metabolized, for example, through the cytochrome P450 uh, pathway, and this herb-drug interaction might lead to either uh, less effective drug therapy or it might lead to uh, increased side effects of that drug therapy if the drug isn't metabolized as quickly as it needs to be. And so uh, really there are potentials uh, for, there is a potential for harm in, in using some of these approaches, and so it becomes even more important for us to, to have these conversations and to ask uh, patients about their use. You know, something that you said that, that really stood out to me as well, that I don't know that I've ever thought of it in this term before and or in this way, um, was the idea of the potential for financial toxicity as well. So patients are, are out there doing their own research, um, trying things, and, and the uh, potential detriments of, you know, the financial cost of some of these complementary or alternative treatments and how that affects their overall care, their well uh, quality of life, and, and just their overall well-being down the line. Could you comment on that? Yes, yeah, so th- there's definitely the, the concern about financial toxicity. Um, a lot of uh, therapies that are out there, either uh, extracts or supplements that individuals can uh, purchase, for example, uh, even over the internet or from uh, health food stores can have quite a high cost. It might be that some of these uh, therapies or supplements can uh, run into the cost of uh, $500 to $1,000 per month, and that might be all the money that that individual really has to, to help uh, you know, support their health and their family health through uh, even just eating a healthy diet. So it might be that patients are foregoing eating healthy foods to be able to invest uh, money and buying some of these supplements, which are certainly not a replacement for uh, good nutrition. And so it really uh, becomes a problem when this financial toxicity can not just uh, impact the, the pocketbook, but can then impact their overall health when they're making sacrifices to, to find the funds to, to be able to pay for some of these approaches. Um, there are some centers that, uh, for example, outside of the United States uh, offer uh, alternative therapies. Uh, quite a few of these centers are in uh, Mexico, quite a few of these in Tijuana, and they'll offer uh, uh, packages of alternative therapies that can, uh, whose costs can run into th- to thousands of dollars for uh, one to two weeks of treatment. And uh, a lot of these treatments are unproven therapies, and individuals might come back after a week or two uh, and be uh, in debt for 10000 to $20,000, and yet um, nothing's been done for their disease and they may actually have had a delay in uh, potentially beneficial uh, therapies and now may not even be able to afford uh, the conventional treatment route because of this uh, significant investment in the um, non-conventional alternative treatment. And in your experience, where, where are patients getting this information from? Where are they finding out about these, these centers? So the, the internet is, is probably the number one source of information that individuals uh, have in, in helping to guide uh, what decisions they're going to be making uh, around the use of complementary, integrative, or alternative therapies. Unfortunately, the internet has uh, a lot of good, but maybe even more not so good uh, information, and patients are looking for things to help them either to fight the disease or to uh, help with the symptoms of the disease, and uh, especially in patients that have advanced disease, they're they're looking for alternative cures, especially if their conventional medical team has told them that they're 
and of disease. Uh, for example, cancer is incurable. And so this, unfortunately, uh, will lead patients to kind of search for numerous things on the internet. And, and if they don't have a good framework within to uh, think about these things, they might make uh, poor uh, decisions. And a lot of the uh, centers that offer these uh, unproven therapies will use uh, language that w will sound enticing and it might really speak to exactly what the patient is looking for. So they might, uh, some of the language in these centers might be, uh, we want to uh, remove uh, toxins for your body. We want to restore balance in your health. And uh, this, this kind of language is appealing and it might lead individuals to seek that, that route of care. And, and what do you offer through MD Anderson with the complementary medicine? What, what does that, what is integrative oncology uh, offer to the patient? So integrative oncology is, is offering patients integrative medicine as part of their cancer care. So really using the available evidence to make the best possible decisions for patients with regard to their use of these uh, integrative therapies. Um, the, the, the therapies, interventions, the clinical services that we offer include massage, acupuncture, uh, exercise counseling by a physical therapist, and uh, we have a nutrition counseling, we have a health psychologist. And so really the idea is that all these individuals are working to support the patient and family health by addressing uh, areas of their health that uh, may uh, be affected uh, directly at this time by the disease, but it might be some aspects of the individual's health that have never been addressed over the course of a lifetime. And so the idea is not just to uh, address the more immediate issues of what's going on, but also to uh, look at a broader, uh, look, in, look in a broader sense at how to support uh, health uh, during disease and then either throughout disease or after disease, depending if the, the disease they have is curable or not. Right. This morning you, you cited some recent work presented about a month ago on, on exercise counseling um, in integrative cancer care. So there's been uh, more and more uh, evidence supporting the importance of uh, exercise uh, during cancer care and supporting health. Uh, maintaining physical conditioning, maintaining muscle mass, uh, improving treatment outcomes. Uh, I mean, exercise can uh, help with so many aspects of health. It can decrease treatment-related fatigue, uh, help support healthy sleep, improve mood. There might be even uh, benefits as far as uh, memory. Uh, and so we have, as part of our uh, program, an exercise counseling service that's uh, led by our physical therapist. And uh, a lot of what our physical therapist does is to uh, assess the patient's uh, current deficits and help them to develop a plan of exercise uh, based on what their needs are going to be during that specific aspect of their uh, cancer treatment. So for example, if a patient is about to go into surgery, uh, there'll be a prehabilitation approach in helping the patient to uh, prepare uh, for that surgery. If a patient's going through uh, radiation treatment or chemotherapy, there'll be a lot of uh, discussion about energy conservation uh, um, and to, to help address uh, potential fatigue symptoms. And so the, the study that uh, we presented on last month at the American Society of Clinical Oncology uh, annual meeting was looking at the effects, the immediate and long-term effects of an exercise counseling session on patient-reported symptoms. And we learned that just a one-hour session had significant effects <clears throat> on patient uh, global distress and that the long-term benefits of the exercise counseling service included uh, not only uh, reducing global distress, but also uh, helping to support uh, physical health, uh, 
as well as decreasing symptoms of fatigue. And so really the, the, the question now is how best to guide patients in exercise counseling in support of their health needs in a way that's evidence-based and safe. And so that's a, a very natural place to offer that kind of services in an integrative medicine uh, program. Absolutely. And do you have any advice on, on how to go about establishing this? And I think this is something that we're all, we all know exercise is, is very important for our patients. At the same time, exercise counseling is often in the current healthcare um, environment is maybe not necessarily reimbursed. You know, we tell our patients they need to be active. We, we give them some general guidelines, but how do we go about getting more patients um, exercise counseling? So exercise counseling, I, I really think is important because a lot of times when patients are told that they need to exercise um, uh, by their physician, uh, by their general practice doctor, um, by their specialist, um, they'll know they have to exercise because they've been told they have to exercise, but they don't know how to put that into action and they don't know how to do it safely. And some patients uh, might interpret exercise as training for a marathon, or they might interpret that as entering into a boot camp program. And so unfortunately, just telling a patient to exercise might actually lead to injury. So ideally, in, in any patient that's being told that they need to participate in an exercise program, it would be ideal if they can get more information, more uh, personalized uh, information beyond just being told exercise uh, more. And so that's where I think that the exercise a counseling approach, in this case, like I mentioned, in our center offered by a physical therapist, can be really beneficial for patients so that they can really engage in something that's going to be safe, not just for the present moment, but also hopefully lead to a, a lifetime of, of uh, healthy uh, exercise. You know, a lot of times these, these patients have a, a treatment team, so there are multiple physicians on board. How do you get buy-in from the rest of the teams with some of these complementary approaches? Is that ever an issue? So the, the buy-in a lot of the times from uh, teams is that patients are asking about integrative medicine and the teams, when they uh, send, let's say, their first patient to our center and the patient comes back to them and says, wow, that really helped to address the questions that I had, that helps the practitioner say, well, you know, my patient had their needs addressed, so the next time those issues come up, um, they're more likely to uh, have uh, their next patient uh, seek that kind of counseling and guidance uh, from that specialized program. A lot of times in the interactions, the, the healthcare team might not have all the time needed to appropriately address uh, exercise, diet, stress management, and symptom management needs of the individuals. And so that can also be a way to think about uh, why uh, providers are, are, are going to be more open to having a team that's practicing evidence-informed care take care of those aspects of their patients if they don't have the time to do it uh, themselves. But they definitely want their patients to be uh, working with someone that's going to be able to offer these things in a way that's evidence-informed and safe. And how do we educate both ourselves as healthcare providers and, and our patients to ensure effective integrative care plans? So to develop an effective integrative care plan, again, I'll, I'll mention that term evidence-informed. It's important to be aware of the evidence, but if you're not aware of the evidence, to know that too. And if you can't appropriately answer the question for the patient to send them, refer them, or provide them a resource where they can get that evidence-informed information, 
if there's an integrative medicine provider, it's important that you know that that integrative medicine provider is practicing evidence-informed medicine. Just because someone in the community is uh, labeling themselves or calling themselves an integrative medicine uh, doctor or clinician or provider doesn't mean that they're offering, offering evidence-based care. So um, it is important to know who you uh, do send patients to so that they don't go to an unqualified provider to get information about uh, these interventions. Um, but for self-education, um, I, I would encourage anyone interested in learning more about integrative medicine to uh, go to these websites that have good information. So for example, the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health has wonderful information on integrative medicine. Uh, the um, uh, National Cancer Institute specifically for uh, integrative medicine and cancer care has a PDQ section that has information for both patients and professionals. And so there are evidence-based uh, reviews and resources out there that if you want to learn more about these approaches are certainly uh, available. Now I know there's some resources available through MD Anderson as well, correct? There's some podcasts that uh, you mentioned this morning. How do we access those? So on our Integrative Medicine uh, Center uh, website, so this is on the Integrative Medicine Center website uh, in the main MD Anderson webpage, and this can be accessed outside of our hospital. There are uh, resources that give information about the different kinds of integrative medicine approaches and interventions, but there's also a number of uh, audio and video recordings of meditation, yoga classes, Tai Chi, Qigong, and different topics in integrative medicine. We actually have uh, recordings of our uh, lectures going back several years and where we've had experts come and uh, talk to us about different areas of integrative medicine. And so that's uh, definitely a good place to look. Uh, I'll, I'll mention as well, there are organizations uh, such as the uh, Academic uh, Consortium for Integrative uh, Health that has representatives at uh, institutions throughout the country. And so it, I would say another good way of learning about how to get more information about integrative medicine is to find out if uh, in your individual community there are uh, members of such uh, national organizations looking to uh, practice uh, evidence-informed integrative medicine care. So there might be individuals that you haven't met before or know about that are already at your institution that you can uh, look to for guidance. Yeah, that's perfect. I'm just going to close with uh, asking about recommendations on where we can go to learn more. So uh, Dr. Lopez, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as we close another session of our podcast, I would like to make it clear that we make every effort to broadcast correct information. We will double check facts and assertions, but we do ask our listeners to realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and an art. One physician may have an entirely different way of doing things from another, and any views expressed are solely those of the person expressing them. We welcome any comments, suggestions, and correction of errors. 
We do not accept any money, services, or sponsorship otherwise from pharmaceutical, supplement, or device companies. By listening to this podcast or reading this blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you may be treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall McGovern Medical School, any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of UT Health be held responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast or blog. We are here to stimulate the dialogue. We are here to get the wheels spinning. We are here to spark new questions in the field of medicine. Thank you for listening.